Hey everyone, my name is Kevin Sofin, and I'm one of the co-founders of SmartFirefighting.com. The goal of Smart Firefighting is to help raise innovation awareness profile for all things innovation in the fire service. Today, we're going to be talking about data in the fire service. Data is something that is used a lot, um, but sometimes not as much as it should be in the fire service. And we're gifted today to have three of the brightest minds in the fire industry around data and the fire service. I by no means am one of those experts, but I'm I am proud and excited to have three other people here that know a lot more than I do. Uh, and we and we're going to do a quick little introduction here for everyone. And we'll start with uh, Chief Dan Muncy. If you want to give us a little introduction, sixty seconds, who you are, and then and a little little blurb about what you do with data in the fire service. Oh, Chief, sorry, actually your your audio for some reason just went out. Um, I don't know how that happened. It was working just a second ago. Um, if you, Chief, if you could actually just leave the room really quick and come back. I'm sorry. I don't know why that happened. Um, that that can happen sometimes with this. Bart, you st- Bart we still got you there? Uh, I hope so. Yeah, you are yeah. still here. Great. <laughs> um, so we're going to start with you. If you could start with a little introduction about, I can't even say your last name. I usually butcher it quite badly, but. Bart Van Buchen, is that right? Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's good enough. It's horrible for international travel, but I, 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 I learned to live with that. No problem about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Um, okay, so uh, Bart, if you could uh, give us a little introduction on yourself and sure. uh, seconds around data. So my, uh, my name is Bart van Leeuwen. Um, I'm here uh, as the owner of NetAge. Uh, we're a small company from the Netherlands um, doing smart data for smarter firefighters. We're uh, specifically interested in building knowledge graphs for the fire service and working on data models for organizations like the NFPA. But also I, I noticed some Dutch people on the, uh, on, the, on the chat as well. We've done some work for the IFE and um, also in European connections on, on cross-border uh, incident response. Um, I wear multiple hats and helmets, so I'm here in the uh, capacity of the owner of NetEdge, but I'm also a career firefighter in the city of Amsterdam for 70%, something we can do. I'm a prospective captain, waiting for seven years already to get my promotion, um, and I hold a position uh, as a guest researcher at the Free University of Amsterdam, specifically in the department where we look at um, human-centric AI. So that is where my interests are. And I'm very excited to be on this webinar. Awesome. Thank you. Chief, do we have your audio back? I hope so. Yes, you are back. Um, all right, so we'll, uh, we'll jump back to you if that's, that's okay. Can I give us a little 60 second uh, rundown and, and some of the background and work you do around data? Sure, just like Bart, I've worn uh, different hats in my career. You can see him up there, I suppose. Uh, and Bart, if you ever want to change your perspective, uh, captain's helmet for one of mine, just let me know and I'll send you one to make that trade. I'm Dan Muncy. I'm the fire chief of the county of San Bernardino. This county is unusual uh, for a couple of reasons. One is the size and geography uh, diversity. We cover about 20,000 square miles, which uh, means we can take about six of the smallest states in the United States and put it within our boundaries. Uh, we have very, very urban areas in our valley areas, and then we have wilderness areas as we extend into our mountains and into our deserts. Uh, we deploy uh, just, just under 1,200 personnel to uh, meet our mission, which is all risk. We uh, have a significant wildland problem. We see our floods, we see our earthquakes, we see our mudslides. Certainly we have our share of fires. If you've seen some of our videos in San Bernardino, our guys do a great job. 
to kind of meet our mission, we're really always studying data and taking a look at it. And we're taking the raw data and we're changing in information. We use that information for a variety of things. One is to provide better leadership decisions. Two is to provide better information to our, our constituents and our, to our customers, our residents, and three, to our policymakers. A little bit more about me. I do have a master's degree in public administration. I'm fairly new to this job, about seven months, but I've been in the fire service for about 25 years, progressing through the ranks. 10 of those years has been a chief officer. I do uh, hold a credentialing through SEPSI. I am a state fire marshal, California state fire marshal, chief fire officer. I'm a well-known ins instructor in, in um, several different disciplines. I sit on the International Association uh, of Firefighters, or excuse me, Fire Chiefs Tech Council and the California Fire Chiefs Association uh, Operations Section President. Thank you for allowing me to join you here today. Thanks, Chief. And Andreas? Yep. Good morning, everyone. And Kevin, thanks so much for uh, for including me on the panel um, with such great uh, leaders in, in data, in the fire service and uh, fire service data. So my name is Andreas Huber. I'm one of the co-founders at First Do. I'm also the CEO. And at First Do, we started a little over four and a half, about right around four, four years ago, um, as a result of a line of duty death. And um, what we learned from that incident was that there's just not a lot of information that our crews are getting about the structures they respond to, as well as the people inside those buildings day in and day out. So we set out to solve those problems related to information on the buildings and people um, our fire departments respond to, you know, before, during, and after an incident. So that's what that's what we're focused on. We work with um, you know many amazing agencies and fire service professionals around the country. Fantastic. Well, thank you all again for being here. And, and data is something that I hear quite a bit. I have a brother that works at Facebook, and it's amazing. The majority of their revenue comes from selling ads, and all of those ads are based on some type of data algorithms. And, and I feel like a lot of times we hear data and think of selling something to someone or using data to, to track, a, track them and sell an advertisement to them. Um, but I know that there's so much more to that. And I, and one thing that I'd like to hear from all of you is breaking down data in general. Like what, when you hear data in the fire service, and this is sort of a initial macro broad question, what does data in the fire service mean to you? And can, can start with, with any of you, I'm sure you all could talk about this for an hour, uh, but to kind of keep it short and, and feel free to bounce off each other. Bart, want to lead us? <laughs> you can't start speaking and then not, Bart. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. It's like, uh, should I start, should I not? Uh, stage fright, basically. Um, well, th the thing is, I've been on this this whole journey with data in the fire service probably for 12 years now. When I, when I started looking at our operations um, 12 years ago and then realized that there was so much then already, so much data around us about the city we operate in uh, and we were not doing anything with it. That was, for me, the first time. It's like, whoa. Um, we, we really um, base all our operations on, on prior knowledge, on, like we have always done it, but, but there is so much more we could know about the, the, the places we operate in, and that automatically translated, oh, but if we understand how data from various agencies relates to our operations, and can we do prevention with that, et cetera, et cetera. So this picture gets bigger and bigger. Um, and I think one of the, the biggest issues, and that's, something a lot of people always hear me say is uh, the data is great but we have a serious issue with 
the terminology we use um, even within fire departments. I'm not even discussing the terminology between the European or the US perspective, but even within fire departments, you see huge terminology issues. So that is when you talk fire in the data or data in the fire service industry, then terminology is, is the first thing that comes in my mind. Chief? Chief, were you gonna? No, I was just copying Bart earlier when he started to talk and then didn't. <laughs> now, I, will, I will weigh in on this. And, and Bart, Bart hit upon something, data is all around us and smart cities exist now. And there's, there's huge movements across um, the United States and internationally to develop these smart cities with the idea of let's collect this data and use it. As a fire chief, it's overwhelming though. You, you have all these data points, um, but you're not sure that you can rely on the data that you're receiving you don't really have the means to interpret that data um, and you don't really know the information that you want to get out of the data. And I think those are, that's a trend that we've seen in the fire service now for four years. I remember when we first got access to our CAD data, we were like, Oh, this is awesome. What are we going to do with it? Hey, who's going to do all this stuff? Who's going to learn to interpret it? And, and so the only way to effectively use data as a fire chief, especially in a, I'm fairly large, organization at this point, but even for us, is with partnerships from some of the industry leaders out there or through the iChiefs um, or through local department collaboratives, uh, the Fire, Fire Search Data Lab. But we have to work together to understand what are the data points we truly want to collect? What are some future data points that we want to collect? And once we start collecting this data, how are we going to turn it into meaningful information that we can use for our day-to-day -day decisions and, and to, to paint a better future picture for our agencies. Yeah, I think I think that, that that makes a ton of sense. And you know, from from our perspective, what we can see is there there's definitely been sort of a there's an ongoing digital transformation that's going on in the fire service. And you know it it, it happens in steps. <clears throat> so it's kind of like um, let's 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 get a hold of information, let's get things digitized, and then let's think about how we can sort of harvest those insights to, to help solve some of the problems we have. So it's sort of like we're, we're, we're making that move. And I think as, as all this goes on, a lot of the demands of the modern fire EMS agency has only become more complex. And it's only sort of made it more evident that we need to sort of gain different insights to solve specific problems from what the data can tell us. And I think the good news is, you know, with each passing year, lots of progress is being made both um, both inside the, the departments as well as outside. Um, and so, you know, we, we're seeing some really great partnerships form there, which is great. You know, I always think, I, I mentioned early on that we're here to serve our customers, uh, but we use data three, three ways. One is for our fire department to make good data-driven decisions. Two is to inform our customers on who their fire department are and our activities. And three is the policymakers to, um, to ensure that we're following their vision. Data is complex and everybody needs data and they want it interpreted for their own particular needs. Our customers want to see different data than our, our policymakers. I remember uh, there was a pretty profound leadership instructor 10 years ago in the fire service. She's passed on now, but her name was Kim Allen. And she told me this, this story about working well with others. She says, uh, Dan, we have an orange here, a complete orange and you, want the pulp to make orange juice and your friend wants the rind to make the cookies, uh, the orange cookies. And unless you're sitting together and you're determining how you're each going to use this orange, it's not going to be productive. Dan, if you just take a knife and cut this orange in half and, 
and juice the pulp and then throw it away, then your friend didn't get the, the, the rind of that orange. What I'm seeing in the fire service is that we either want the pulp or the rind, or we don't even know what to do with the data. Um, <laughs> we're trying to interpret the data to make the decisions that our guts tell us we should be making. And so we need to, to really work in a collaborative fashion as an industry uh, with our associations of fire chiefs and, and firefighters and with our industry partners to make sure that, that we're getting as much juice and as much rind out of every single orange or the pieces of data that come at us to get, to get that information out. Yeah, that, that's sort of in line with the, with the question that I sent to Kevin. It's like, um, what I find interesting to, to, to talk about is, is our fire services nowadays, especially the, the ones that look at it more information system organizations, um, because when we talk to fire services, um, more than often you see, well, we, we, we piggyback on city IT. Uh, we don't have our own infrastructure. Um, and, and I can name you a ton of examples. Um, there are some really great examples out there as well. There is a, a fire service in the Netherlands who own their own uh, fiber optic network through all their fire stations, for example. I think that's sort of the other, other extreme of the organizations. And they are well aware of the, the, the type of industry they have been in. But you see a lot of fire service, oh yeah, we, we, we talk to some data company and they do it for us. But I think that the, the shift that needs to be made is that we start to realize that fire services are actually information system organizations. At least that's my opinion. I would love to hear your take on that. You're, you're exactly right. And it's funny, our team uh, yesterday brought the idea of bringing fiber to all of our fire stations to me. And it's a great idea, it's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> but our reliance on information and technology uh, it, it is ex exponentially getting larger. You know, part of the plan that they brought to me was an IT plan, and, and I'm really a big proponent on, on studying your MIS and GIS needs and, and developing an IT plan for your organization to meet the future. But we, we're now using smart TVs uh, as information devices, as dashboards in the fire station. You can receive very quick information on your way to a call. Um, we're we're using so many different sophisticated platforms now we need to make sure that we're supporting that with the infrastructure you're right a lot of a lot of agencies are tied back to what their cities are doing or in their counties but i think with partnerships for instance with first do or some of the other industry leaders out there you're able to kind of um, break away from maybe your city it's and then start developing the information that you need for your own agency. So it's, it's exciting to see that across the United States as there's different tech leaders that are coming out and offering platforms. And then the really good tech leaders are the ones that sit down with you and say, look, this is, this is why we do what we do. Um, this is what we can do. And this is how we do it. But what is it that you're truly looking for? And if it's just a validation of a gut feeling decision, you know, then we probably don't need us. But if you want to tr truly get real time information to make data driven decisions, and maybe even change the way that you do the fire service, then we're the company for you. Chief, that's, that, um, that is such a good point. And it reminds me a little bit about um, 
it reminds me of a story one time when we were at a at a, at a very large agency um, presenting to you know probably forty different people in the room, including IT. Um, at a large fire department, and um, you know, everyone was very excited, and the IT department wanted to get involved, and kind of said, "This is great, you know, Chief. We can, we can do some of this too, and and we can kind of partner with them, and we can work on this together." And you know, the fire chief actually stood up and said, "Look, guys, you know, we're we're I'm I'm kind of tired of being a software shop. You know, we." We, we do what we do, but then we work with outside partners to kind of take a lot of the burden off, you know, leave it to sort of the professionals that this is what they do. We do what we do and, and let's, let's sort of work together in that fashion, which, you know, obviously just, you know, the speed, the speed to get some of those initiatives or to get you that win internally, right, is so much faster. And I think the overall sort of um, level of effort and cost obviously goes down as well. So you can focus on the things that you're, that, that you all are, are sort of you know, doing as fire service leaders and not necessarily being a tech shop. Bart, in, in Europe, I'm sure it's the same thing here as the States, is that people really don't know what they need data for. Um, they don't sit down and they don't think about it. For, for me, it's always been the safety of our personnel. That's going to be our primary focus. We need to prioritize how we're going to use our data because you can't do it all. And the second is to create the efficiencies in our organizations. And third is to establish better relationships with our cooperators and our customers. But those are the orders, the safety of our firefighters, the efficiencies and relationships. So many people see that um, new tech platform, uh, the, the shiny new thing is, is, as we've discussed in previous chats, and they go and they purchase a shiny new thing and they bring it back to the organization. They say, wow, look at that. You know, we've got this, this is awesome. But there really isn't serving a purpose to push the needle forward uh, Technology has to be part of the strategic vision of, of the agency. There has to be a reason. You have to prioritize it. If I had every every dollar in the world, I probably still couldn't get all the technology that I would like to see in the fire service. So there's there's demands there. Hmm. It's a oh, go ahead, Kevin. No, no, go on, Bart. Are oh, you doing the same thing as me? Yeah, initially. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so um, I had a discussion, like, like I said in my introduction, uh, after seven years of waiting, I'm finally up for my promotion, hopefully this year, although the, the whole Corona COVID crisis probably is going to push that schedule um, in, the, in the garbage bin anyway. Um, so there's a group of people who are now sort of uh, selected to go for promotion. And one of the guys I've been working with 20 years, I was like, hey, finally, it's going to happen. How do you look forward to it? And I said, well, I think it's a great step in my career. Um, and I love being a leader in the firehouse and, and running the incidents as an incident leader. But I'm really lo not looking forward to sitting every day behind a computer and doing all this computer stuff. Um, and I was shocked by that. Um, and, and that made me realize, it's like, okay, are we actually already looking when we're hiring new personnel that they are more computer savvy than the current generation of firefighters we bring in? Because... If I, at my fire station, I'm, I'm one of the instructors, every single time I need to help my fellow instructors to fill out the reports in our reporting system, provided it's, it's a horrible mess. But still, if we think that data and information is such an important part of what we do, are we hiring the right people right now? Because if you don't start with that today, uh, some, some digital literacy on the people you hire today, you're going to suffer for that for how long is the career? 20, 25 years? Um, and I know it's a bold statement to make, but I just wanted to throw it out there because we're talking about technology. You just don't want just the nerds of the fire department to use it. You want everyone to use it. I, I mentioned this earlier in the 
the pre-chat with, with Chief Muncie with looking at that coronavirus is, is putting on the fire service and particularly with budget cuts. And Bart, you just asked about, you know, are we hiring the right people? And we are in the midst of this pandemic and this huge crisis, but how do you see this, this crisis and the challenge that we're facing and with these future budget cuts to where looking at it as an opportunity to where we may be actually able to change some of our operations and actually adopt some new technologies such as data-driven operations, not just shiny toys and, and, and things that sound cool, but how can we actually use this as a, maybe a turning point to actually move from archaic practices and actually try and adopt some new practices that are using data to make us more efficient than we were before coronavirus. Big part hit on it is that the newer generation expects data into our operations uh, to provide them the information. They grew up with the smartphone in their hand. Uh, for, for my generation, is something that we have to stay on top of. We have to have a very open mind. We have to engage in discussions like this. We need to continually attend conferences and read books and trade magazines to even understand what's available to us. Um, technology in the fire service, we have to use a change model to institute it, it into the fire service. I mentioned the shiny new thing and, and a fire chief or maybe an operations chief or uh, even a member of the fire department goes in and they, they get this technology and again, they bring it back to the fire station and say, wow, look at this, this is awesome. They feel it's awesome, but how do we get our members using that and integrating it into our, our organization? Every single one of us owns technology that we're not using. Every one of us is paying service fees for technology that we're not using. Or we use technology and we don't fully adopt it. And the example that I give uh, that's widely used across the United States is that we all have Microsoft Office. But how many of us actually use Microsoft Office? Very few. We use Outlook. We use Microsoft Word. We may use Excel. But we're not fully using the Teams portion or, or looking at everything else that Office can do. Technology, even with first doing it, and Anders will tell you that to, to, he wants to see a public safety provider that not only buys his software, but actually uses it to make a difference in firefighter safety. And to do that, we need to continually be leaders in our organization. You can't just drop that technology on the table and walk away from it. I think back of um, stories that I've heard of, of Ventura starting to, to use Intera and bringing Intera in their organization. And that ops chief was well known for calling his battalion chiefs in the field and saying, why aren't you using this technology? Why can't I see it? You have to do that as a leader. You have to set the pace. You have to set the vision and you have to explain to the organization, this is why we need to do this. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's a really good point. And I think, you know, a, a big part of that responsibility is also on the vendor. And it, it sort of starts at the very beginning, really focusing on the customer problem, helping the customer. Because you've got, you know, Dan, you've got so many different things going on, right? And, and so when vendors are sort of dialed into a certain problem or set of problems, you know, it's also on us to help identify and put a plan in place, not just to get something done, right? And then maybe it sits on a shelf, maybe it doesn't. But then so that the program is successful into the future and always in this optimization sort of mode, constantly trying to get better. Absolutely. Um, but 
from from a vendor perspective, since since we are that as well, sometimes it's really hard to get to the point where you go and speak to the people who are actually using the product in the field, um, and and that can can sometimes be a burden as well. And and that's what I meant with part of the digital literacy as well. Sometimes the people in the field actually have no idea what they want. Uh, there's there's plenty of, of of battalion chiefs. If you if you ask them what data do you want, then they say everything. But we all know, well, we could give them everything, but it's not going to make their jobs a lot easier. So the, bringing into the fire service this, this knowledge on how to express what you actually need is, is real, and what is possible is really, um, really important as well. And, and I think it's a, it's a difficult task as well, also for the mm -hmm. vendors. So Bart, when they say they need everything, I think what they're really saying is, I want the information that I need when I need it. They don't necessarily want all the information 100% of the time. And we, you just, you have information overload and it locks up you and your organization. But I think there's a lot of value in our tech leaders. Um, you call them vendors, I'll call them technology leaders because I'm sitting with two of them, three of them, that um, are constantly driving products down to the end user and to be able to customize that on the fly um, and quickly receive the information you need. When I'm when we're on scene and we're commanding an incident, we need a certain set of information. When I'm in public doing a presentation, I need another set of information. But a lot of that's still coming from the same source. So it's providing the information when you need it, at the time that you need it, that's that's the critical importance and without providing that data overload. Absolutely. I think this tees up a good question that we've talked about in the past with the fire service in general and our approach of new technology in this question to all of you. Do you see the fire service as being data-driven or more knowledge-driven organizations? And maybe if you could break the down, the difference of that, where we say we want everything, but we really just need what we need to actually do our job better. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on data versus knowledge-driven operations? I could probably, I'll probably just jump in and give my perspective. Um, you know, that it, it's a very, it's a, it's a broad question, right? Because there's data and knowledge across so many different areas of the fire service from leadership and management down through the compliance side, out through to report um, operations, right? And then of course, communications. Um, so it kind of, you know, really depends there. But I think ultimately what we're getting at is, um, you know, when we think about some of the Bart, maybe you've, you know, from, from what you've shared today, it sounds like you may have run into this a bit where, you know, you might have um, a big disparity of, of knowledge between that veteran, you know, BC versus the new uh, firefighter. And how can we use data to sort of shrink that knowledge gap and make it more institutional? And I think I think you can actually achieve that when you have the, when you when you have the right programs in place, not just software, but also sort of internal operational policies and the right leadership, um, and you include everyone in that, I think you can actually start to, to disperse um, that, that sort of veteran 30-year knowledge across everyone throughout the organization. I, I think this is sort of in the line with, with some of the, 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 the um, general remarks you, you now and then hear, did, uh, did Google make us stupid? Um, and my... My personal experience is when I joined the fire service 20 years ago at the Amsterdam Fire Service, when I got to that station, um, 
the younger guy's role was literally reading the street maps and guiding the driver to get to the point because there was no such thing as navigation systems, or at least our fire department couldn't afford them. So that particular part of the city where I had my first six years, I probably still know every single street. If I hear this street over the radio, I know exactly where it is. And 10 years down the, down, the, down the road, we got new guys. We had navigation systems in the fire trucks, and you could kick them out of a fire truck, and they would not even find the way back to the fire station just because they did not gain that knowledge because they said, well, we have this navigation system that will help us until they figured out, well, it works 99% of the time, but it frustrates you when it doesn't work the, 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 that 1%. And and I was actually the one who brought that question up because if you if you look at if you look at fire conferences if you look at webinars on every aspect from from this kind of webinar to the ones on on fire tactics, we we tend to really look up to people who have a lot of experience, have seen a lot, gained a lot of knowledge, gained a lot of experience, and, and but we're also looking at data and somehow. I see very few initiatives to merge these two things because you, you can augment this knowledge that people have gained over the years with data. I don't think you can replace it. I, I do think that this is a profession that needs a certain time uh, to get really good at it because you build up experiences. But how can we share these experiences we've, we've had with others so that they do not make the same mistakes as us? And that's not just going to happen with getting the right data in the right time, because we need to be able to extract this knowledge in some form out of the, the people who made up our fire departments and, and push it back to uh, people we have. I think our, uh, our budget section, our finance section, uses data in the fire service to uh, probably the, the best of any section. Um, and they've been doing it for years with their accounting systems and with their budgeting processes. And as a fire chief, we demand that our numbers in our finance system are 100% correct. We know we can sink our whole organization. We can lose our jobs based on bad data in finance. But we don't do that anywhere else in the fire service. And it's interesting. Yes, um, I'm guilty of that. I use Waze so much sometimes that I look up, I'm like, where the heck am I? It's, uh, we rely on technology to give us the information. And the moment that information that technology has given us doesn't line up with our gut feeling, then we say, oh, it's just bad data. It's bad data. Uh, somebody else, you know, let's just ignore this. Um, the second thing that happens is as an industry, I think 95% of us love what we do the way we're doing it. We don't really want to change. We want the data to back up what we're doing. We want to continue to see it send a fire engine or, or five fire engines and two trucks, code three, to every single call regardless, because that's what firefighters do. That's the business that I got into, and that's what I love. That's all true. That's me personally. But then there's 5% of us that, that realize that the fire service has to change or it's going to die. And you're seeing that with community, with police departments right now. They're under immense amount of pressure to change. There's been movements with police departments to get back to community policing. Um, but there's literally large cities out here in the United States that are threatening to disband their entire police force. Police has always been sacred. So is fire. And as industry leaders, if we don't recognize that we better start using data to make better informed decisions to enact a, a better course in the future, 
then we're going to cease to exist too. We can't just do what we've done the way we've done and use data to back that up. Yeah, the, be the best recipe for, for being disrupted is being comfortable in your status quo. And if there's an, an industry which is comfortable in its status quo, it's pretty much the fire service. So we are a pretty good candidate for, for disruption. Um, and and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that people who are going to disrupt the fire service with data will be the ones that do it with the same um, drive um, as we do, the, 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 our, our oath we have to communities, et cetera. But still, um, if, we, if we don't move forward, if we don't change things, we, we run into this problem. And I think that, that you're, yourself being guilty of, and, and I plead guilty as well on, on saying, okay, recording this data is, is not a, a task we like to do in the fire service, but it's going to bite us at some point as well. Um, we had this, I think 12, 13 years ago, there was this, um, this move of standardizing our instant sizes in the Netherlands. Um, and and we, we would have small fires, middle-sized fires, large fires, etc. And um, in the city of Amsterdam, there was always that a small fire uh, indication with two engines, two letters. But for a national perspective, that would be a mid-sized fire. But we ran into the problem that some of the older captains were saying, on my shift, I'm not going to make this small living room fire a mid-sized fire. It's like, it's, it's my pride. This is a small fire. I will not go in the books as a mid-sized fire. Until they figured out that, that, that the discussions they were having in the community council was that, well, the other cities in the Netherlands have far more mid-sized fires, but they have a lower budget. And then they started looking at the figures like, oh, but if we change it, then we have a huge overflow of mid-sized fires compared to the other cities. So then people started to understand why it's important to, to use the right metrics for recording data other than, well, it's my pride. I'm not going to make it a mid-sized fire. And you, you'll find tons of examples uh, within the fire service. And, and we're currently doing a project for NFPA on inspection, testing, and maintenance, where you see that a lot of AHDAs actually don't want the data of the inspection, testing, and maintenance because of liability issues. So a large part of the ITM field is still done on paper just because they don't want the data. So that's another struggle we have to go through. And, and, and obviously there are fire departments and, and jurisdictions which are way ahead, but there are also still some that struggle badly on getting actual data on what they're doing. You mentioned that we need to have common terminology earlier. Um, we also need to have some common metric points. And it's incredibly important that we support agencies like the NFPA that uh, is out there developing the standards at which we can truly compare ourselves to or benchmark ourselves off of. So we don't get in danger of, of uh, our fire department running uh, zero mid-sized fires, but we run a ton of small fires and, and not have that actually be true in comparison. So guys, we're a little bit halfway through the hour here and, and we have a lot of fantastic questions in the chat bar. So I want to kind of rapid fire through some of these questions and, and use it as a means to continue this fantastic roundtable uh, balancing discussion that we have. Um, there's two similar questions that I think um, maybe help bring this discussion to be a little bit more granular where a lot of the discussion has been great fire service in general, data in general, and some of the operations. But I think it would be great to hear from all of you on some very specific case studies of how data has been used to make a difference to improve fire ground safety or infect effectiveness or efficiency. Some very specific case study of using data to make 
first responders better and the community safer? Um, do you guys have one on the top of your mind that we can share with everyone? I think Andrews is the expert here because his company does some amazing stuff with reaching our community. I saw in, in the chat there that Brett Faulkner brought that up. Um, we need to make sure that we're accessible to our community needs and First Do does that. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I guess there's, there's, so there's a, there's quite a few to choose from, but, um, you know, one that comes to mind, actually, that's kind of, uh, top of mind, I guess, given the times we're in, you know, back in March when we had, um, the coronavirus pandemic that started to really heat up around the country, um, you know, we had a, a lot of, um, a lot of our existing customers as well as lots of new ones who were calling in and, and wanting to launch community connect, which is just a, you know, a native module within first two. And that's the, you know, community engagement piece where, where residents are creating life, uh, household life safety profiles. But, you know, prior, we, as we saw this coming in February, we actually um, made, made um, a, a part of the application available to the public to report in things like uh, COVID-19 symptoms and testing results and if they're in isolation, et cetera, along with um, sort of best practice from the CDC and WHO. So we, we had that out there. Um, we created a free version as well, but the, in terms of a case study, we, one of our, our large metro departments actually within a week and a half of going public with Community Connect and having the COVID piece, um, the guys actually responded to a single family home and they knew that there was a, they actually, without having to think about it, they knew that they were going into um, a home where there were several people who had been exposed and actually tested positive, which was really cool because, you know, what we learned during the whole time was the information sharing, everything was moving so fast. It was really tough. There was lots of um, question marks, depending on who you spoke to around HIPAA compliance and PHI and what can we put in CAD? Well, what can we not? And so we kind of figured all that out really quickly, put something out in front of our customers' hands. And then from a case study perspective, our guys, you know, were protected and we're able to better serve those residents they were going on a call to, which I thought was really cool. We're ultimately here because of our communities. They set the service level, they set the expectations. And if we're not constantly looking for new ways to communicate uh, to them, then again, we're in danger of losing our fire services. We know it, but communication is not a one way street. It just doesn't roll down. It's not a Facebook video from the fire chief or a, a letter in the newspaper to the citizens, there has to be that two-way dialogue. And when we talked about data points earlier, um, the community has a ton of data that we need. And Andrews, you just brought up a point is that we had a really hard time initially in COVID as our fire district, knowing where our COVID patients were. And we had to look at the community and ask them to self-report until we could get that public health data that was integrated into our, our CAD systems. We had to work that process. So um, one of the interesting things that came from to us from, from a tech leader, um, virtual CRRs, they came to us and they said, hey, look, we, we have this platform where we can create this community engagement um, where we're just going to do a simple survey. You can put it out in your social media and you're going to have the public self-report back to the agency and provide you with some additional data points so you can better serve them. What was interesting is that it was a true two-way street of communication. As they were self-reporting information on, on what they knew about COVID and the symptoms of COVID and whether they knew anybody that was infected or whether they were infected, that product also gave them the information they needed the citizenry to engage with the firefighters and with their communities to keep the community safe. 
And then what was further interesting is that the community latched onto this tool and they started reporting additional information to the fire department that wasn't really COVID related, but was truly important to our operations. So those kinds of, of programs, uh, whether the one I just described or Community Connect, that allows for that two-way communication and data gathering is gonna be extremely important to fire service as we move ahead. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of, um... You know, when we think about community risk reduction for the last few years, it's just be, it, there's just been a trend that's become more and more important, you know, both from the on the residential side as well as commercial. I think there's always been a huge focus on commercial, um, but tools like you just described, um, certainly Community Connect, uh, Chief, you know, it people want it. People like the, the public, they want to be, you know, more closely connected with fire and EMS in their communities. You guys are the community leaders. And um, at the, I really view it as sort of, um, you know, CRR 2.0 or, or sort of just like the, 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 the natural progression of, of where CRR goes in, you know, as part of the broader digital transformation that we're all going through. Yeah, what I think is interesting, um, obviously we had some COVID issues here, but we have way stricter privacy, um, privacy laws here. So we, we looked at, okay, um, can we get information on where COVID patients are so that you can prepare certain fire bar, uh, fire stations in certain districts to better be prepared of, of where they're going? And there was no means of getting that. The only thing was sort of a questionnaire the dispatcher did on have you tested positive or do you uh, expose symptoms of COVID? And then we would take, um, well, extreme measures to, to pre prevent ourselves or to, to protect ourselves. Um, what we have been doing for, try to I think about five years now, or probably even longer, is house the house door to door visits. So we do house visits in the, in, in the Amsterdam, and we go literally door to door, uh, talking to the public, uh, giving out free smoke detectors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And while that is a good success, and you you really uh, find two two sort of two sets of clients, people who are very afraid of fire and and really think, well, it's going to happen to me next time. And you look into their houses and everything is like completely meticulously organized and, and they, they are operating completely safe or you run into um, locations where you're really like, okay, what were people thinking? A, 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 a complete kitchen with seven appliances running on an extension cord, which smells funny as the owner says, <laughs> uh, where, you're, where you're basically looking at is okay, we're, we just prevented the next big, next big fire. Um, the thing with which we do see is that we we do have problems of getting to the people who actually need it even more than those people um so how do you get to the people who really need your advice um and and how can we communicate certain parts of the and there you go on on terminology level how can you communicate back to what firefighters who did that visit and and saw some um sort of potential risk for operational for operations, how can you communicate that back in a uniform way that people actually can make use of it when a, a, a incident happens, either fire or anything else? Um, and I think that is that, that's still a, a challenge. There was a another question uh, around smart homes and and I think you were the two way street of communication that I know that's a some aspect of self reporting and and actually communicating, but I'd love to hear from, from all of you in terms of looking at some of these other smart homes and smart cities with these new sensors and data points from a, a home, whether it's an occupancy sensor or a, 
the fact that a sensor system's on or, or some other type of data that's being created from a home and even more macro city, how is that something that can be integrated to fire ground operations? I know now we're talking about a whole breadth of more information. Is, is this complicating things or how can we leverage this? I think one of the thoughts. one of the biggest problems is so far all the things we talked about is a data field where the fire service sort of can claim that they have ownership of what is being recorded and what they're doing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you're looking at smart cities, this this is progressing at such an extreme speed, and we we we're going to end up reporting to buildings that's going to talk to us, but we're not listening because we did not sit at the table when the standards were set. Um, I've been on several uh, standardization um, efforts uh, around uh, sensor networks and also on some uh, building uh, data standards where there is nobody, but literally nobody in, in, in even remotely representing the fire service. If we, if we want to talk about, okay, can I get temperature readings from um, uh, smoke detectors? Because that's something that's really a thing you could use. We should sit at tables uh, where these kind of standards are being developed, uh, talking with the Siemens and everything. You see people from the insurance industry doing that. So we're the people who sell um, automated fire alarms, et cetera, et cetera, but you don't see the fire service itself represented there. Big problem is, is we're so scattered literally over the globe and we have so many, well, different interests and different standards that there is no one central person to talk to from a fire service perspective. Um, and I think that is, and I've been trying that also from the Dutch perspective, there, there are some really great initiatives on data standardization. We should not try to reinvent the wheel. We should jump on all the technologies that are being developed and try to get a spot at the table and slam with our fist and let you say, it's all great, but if this building is on fire with all this great new technology, we wanna know A, B, and C. And and this is the way we want to get it. And currently, it's not it's not happening. I'm going to write Bart's name in for president of the United States uh, this next election. <laughs> you, you are yes. What you're saying, all of us are saying, is uh, this is great. All this technology exists. It, it exists. There's there's smoke detectors with heat sensors. There's smoke detectors that'll be able to differentiate between dogs and humans in a room. But what are you going to do with it? Nobody's requiring this information. I think back um, in the United States, at some point, somebody stood up and said, enough is enough. We're going to require that we sprinkle our buildings based on um, these standards. And that was the NFPA. Um, and over the last 50 years, now we have buildings that are literally bombproof. Uh, do you guys have commercial tilt-ups uh, warehouses like Amazon warehouses, Bart? out there where you're at yeah. so these buildings are just indestructible um you know amazon's got millions and millions of dollars and they got it, it we've designed the buildings to be fireproof now with that said one mile out of my jurisdiction last week uh, there was a 1.1 million square foot concrete tilt-up that burned to the ground so wait a minute we, we designed buildings not to burn but they're still going to burn so what's the next logical step? And that's the step in the integration of technology to, to ensure that we're creating even safer buildings. But who does it need to be safer for? Well, certainly the occupants needs to be safer for the owner. It needs to be safer for the community. It's got to be safer for our firefighters. 
as you're responding to an incident, especially in a building that that's large, that large, you want to know where that fire is at. You want to know the progression of the fire. You want to know what the suppression systems are. They operating correctly. Where are your active uh, sprinkler heads? Is is the the fire pump keeping up to the demand? All that information is available. It's just not collected. And the only way to get there is to elect Bart as president of the United States. <laughs> or, I just don't want to go down that state. Or to join the International Association of Fire Chiefs, to join your your state fire chief association, to join your county fire association, for you to actually attend these conferences, for you to become a member of NFPA, for you to join the committees and lead, because there's just not enough people in the fire service world that's taken a stance to say, we need technology to do these things for the fire service, and here's the expected outcomes, which means we're going to save people's lives and we're going to save the, the economy. Do you know what, a, when you burn down an Amazon warehouse, do you know what it does to the local economy? It's devastating. Oh, yeah. To, to, that, uh, um, to that extent, we, we actually, in, in, in the Netherlands, we have zero-minute buildings, which is basically means nobody's inside and they're insured. They, they have a zero-minute resistance to fire. We've got a couple of them in our service area. Uh, which is interesting. We, you, need to, you need to keep firefighters out. It's like we're not going to go in there because they were not designed for us to fight the fire from the inside. That's sort of a different, uh, <laughs> a different side note. Now, I, I think it's it's and and I've been trying actively to to to, to get some hold on on some of the um, standardization people, but it's 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 a painstakingly slow process. And and the problem is. We're 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 moving at snail speed within the fire service, but all this technology is 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 light speed. So once you got people interested in, oh, let's do this, then that technology sometimes is not relevant anymore, and then they want to jump into the standardization. Um, you, you mentioned fiber earlier on. It's expensive to put fiber in into an existing building. It's a lot cheaper when they're they're laying the when they're building the building. We have to start somewhere. We have to start with these standards and say, this is what this is going to do in the future, just like we did with sprinklers. Sprinklers are incredibly expensive to retrofit buildings, but over time, it's a very effective way to curate a, a fire-safe community. Absolutely. Yep. Well, that was only one question, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that goes about bouncing it back and forth. And, and one, one question that's uh, been brought up in a few different ways in the chat is, is talking about the actual bringing in talent and bringing in the right people that are actually interested in, in driving the change. And, and Chief Muncy, you talked about different things you can do and organizations you can support. And, but, but really looking at the actual talent and the people who are coming to the fire service where how are we, what, what, what's the best way forward in terms of how we find the right people that are data-minded as well as fire-oriented from industry to being in the fire service, how do we recruit the right people and, and continue to facilitate these connections to make it make everyone's job more efficient and better, as opposed to everyone kind of going at this at a disjointed effort? I had a discussion last year at um, IFC on, on a session about uh, office development programs where they listed certain uh, preconditions to to apply for uh, uh, EFO or uh, chief fire officer, and there is fire engineering, public administration, and I've been making the claim: why is there no data science in there? 
if if you want fire service leaders to better understand what the technology can do, why is taking data science as a master not part of a career path? Because you you barely see that anywhere. Um, so most people I know within the fire service who are really good and and have a fire career and who are really good with data are um, what's the proper English term for that? Uh, coincidental. They, they came across this, got an interest for that, and started doing that. Uh, but there is nobody who says, well, it, it was a deliberate career choice for me to go with my master in data science and take a fire career, make make that better, uh, work together. Um, and you see it in our National Academy. I, I think there's very few people with a data science background actually going to the fire academy. And why is that? Because I'm not sure if it's not accepted, but I, I've seen that in some of the officer development programs in the US that data science or anything in that direction, IT management or whatever, is not accepted as a step in your career path. Um, same goes for mainly hiring layman people, and, and, and I think IT is a craft as well. Why don't we put that up in our, in our job postings, but allow these people to have a comparable career as they would have at some other tech companies, obviously in the fire service, not never being able to, to pay Facebook or, or Google salaries, but it could be interesting nonetheless for people to do something like that. When I first started, individuals were hired in the fire service often from uh, construction trades. They'd been a framer, they'd, they'd uh, done electrical or something, and, and that was viewed as really important to fire services that we know we have to have people that know how to do manual labor and build buildings because then they're going to be good firefighters. And then I remember 15 years ago reading an article saying we don't hire farm kids anymore. We're not hiring the kids or the young adults that have an understanding the mechanical aptitude of the fire service. And so I think there is a transition into um, the new generation having a better understanding of technology and data than the previous generation. I don't think that we want to hire hundred percent data scientists. I think that we need Hello. to, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> but we, we, we do need those people. We need, we need the people that have fantastic minds and there's, there's a bunch of them in the fire service and they're out there and they're preaching the gospel. Um, they need support. Uh, we, we do need to encourage our members to look a little bit deeper than um, what they're doing today. You know, we, we do that by in our in our fire towers, our fire academies. We literally lay out basic hand tools and power tools, and we have to sit there and explain what each one does. Well, you didn't have to do that to me when I got hired. We need to do that with data too. It needs to start in the fire academy. We need to preach it up as we're doing promotional exams. We need to ask questions on it. You need to make sure that they're studying, they're taking a hard look. We need to institute change in the organization, but it just doesn't happen overnight without intervention. There has to be a plan to get there. And so these conversations are, I think, integral to creating that future workforce. Spot on. Yep, totally agree. So we got a few few more minutes here. I don't want to go too far past the hour. And this, this next question is maybe a little bit of a Pandora's box, uh, but also in something we could probably talk about for a whole other hour. Um, but we've in North America, we have heard a lot and we're starting to see more the integration with FirstNet. And I still think that one of FirstNet's biggest problems is that most people still don't even know what FirstNet is or what FirstNet can do for the fire service. Quickly in some discussion, 
what 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 does FirstNet allow us to do from a data perspective in terms of our new ability to communicate or our new ability to create data or just quickly and generally uh, or specifically, um, what's your take on how FirstNet can help enhance data operations in the fire service? I would, I'll just, I can go first. Um, I think, you know, uh, sticking to sort of how the purpose behind FirstNet as it was, you know, conceptualized from the beginning, um, you know, as a result of not of first responders not having a reliable network to communicate with each other when those, um, you know, information highways, if you will, are overloaded or have too many people on them, right after 9-11. And um, I think that's, that's huge. Right when when you've got those major disasters going on, but um, you know, but, but more than that, I also think that they can actually take you know a leadership role in with some of their other initiatives, you know, marketplace and things along those lines, to help identify some of the you know some of the best you know or vetted applications or, or software applications that that can run on those networks and really help um, ultimately their customer base, which is the first responder community. Back again to bringing fiber into the fire stations of entry, you have to have the infrastructure to support the technology. If you want to frustrate firefighters, um, and if you want to see something not be implemented in your, your organization, give them something that doesn't work. And for us, the case study was, we, we used to have paper forms, we call them O1A forms, they were patient care reports. They were triplicate copies, and as, as, as paramedics, as we were, uh, assessing the patient, we would write the information down on paper. <clears throat> then about 10 years ago, we moved to electronic PCRs or patient care reports. And the organization handed all our firefighters tablets and said, this is great. You're going to be able to use this tablet to collect all this information. And this information is automatically going to go to the hospital and be able to transfer between the fire uh, paramedic and the ambulance paramedic. This is going to be great. The problem is, is the infrastructure did not work. And so the firefighters instead got very frustrated trying to get these tablets to work. And they came up with some ingenious ideas on how to either not collect the information or how to get it to work. But you, you have to have some, the first net is there providing that foundation for the fire service, for public safety to move forward. So it's an integral part of the future world that we're gonna exist, but it's just a piece of that. Uh, one thing on FirstNet that I'll, I'll always mention it, I'll, I'll say this, I'm a bigger fan of FirstNet today than I was three years ago. But one reason is that three years ago, they got out and they said, they had a great marketing campaign. They said, this is gonna be great, go do this. And lots of agencies jumped on FirstNet and FirstNet's infrastructure wasn't prepared to support their promises. Now we're seeing agencies in FirstNet evaluating areas and making sure that that, that infrastructure is gonna be able to support their products as they roll it out and it's much more successful in its implementation. So I know FirstNet, but obviously we don't use it here. Um, we, we started using a digital communication system specifically for the fire service, probably last century, um, based on all technology. So the, the, the only thing that I'm slightly worried about is, is, is how quickly upgradable is the infrastructure of FirstNet, because I think it's a good initiative. Um, the, the thing we've seen with the with the with the Dutch system is that it's basically still running at GSM speed for data transmission, so it's completely unusable for any modern application. So all fire so services fire use traditional 4G 
or probably 5G. So I was wondering how easy the transition for 4G to 5G is going to be for FirstNet. If they got that figured out, then I think it's a it's a vital uh, part of the, of the of the whole data infrastructure uh, by itself. Thanks for all that. Um, so we are we are at the hour here, and I don't want to go too much longer, but I, I do want to give you all one last um, maybe uh, chance here to, to communicate some final thoughts or a final message, whether it's to other industry partners or future aspiring firefighters or other technologists around this concept of data. What's some what's a final message or a final thought that you all have? And um, and Chief Chief Muncy, I guess we'll I'll I'll kick it off to you to, to start us off here. Back to some of the themes that I've been talking about in this particular conversation. First, I want to thank you for facilitating this. Um, this is important. This discussion, this is how we move the industry, is being engaged in these discussions. And thank you for the listeners, whether you're listening to a recording of this or you're doing it live. Thank you for those that provided questions. We're better together. And the only way we're going to succeed in ensuring that the fire service is, is truly getting the data that we need to provide the information to our firefighters, our customers, and for our policymakers is if we're working together. So get involved. Get involved in the NFPA. Get, get involved in the International Association of Fire Chiefs. Get involved locally. Uh, get involved in conferences and, and webinars like this and keep pushing this discussion. The second thing I'll offer is, is what, what some of the chat proposed, is that get your newer generations involved in this question and this discussion right now. Frankly, there's better minds that are 20 years old than mine are. We're just not using them. We're spending too much time teaching them the other aspects of being a part of them. So again, thank you for your time and for allowing me to participate. Thank you. Andreas, wanna go next? Sure. Uh, um, and thanks again, uh, Kevin, for organizing everything and including with MC. Uh, it's part of the, the I would say um, really exciting time in fire service. Uh, obviously we're a software vendor but what we've seen you know, in times it's the challenge that our first responder across uh, you know fire and UMS are just getting more complex as it you know the digital transformation on top that's in trend a full swing um, so, you know, what's join, joining the responder um, as a young person entering the industry, I think it's really exciting time. I think a lot of stuff that wasn't there to sort of help you grow as an individual is now there. And you can really thrive a lot of what Barb was saying, you know, maybe coming up with some new roles that we actually promote and recruit for. I think this is the perfect number for that in the industry. And of course on the you know on the other side on the part other side of the partnership on the vendor side, there's just so much going on and it's just a really fulfilling, exciting place to be. So um, it's a pleasure to, to talk about the, in the fire service today with you all. Thanks Andres and I'm sorry my, my internet might have gone out there a little bit or, or yours might have but uh, thank, thank you for those words that they might have been a little choppy but overall I appreciate that and then Bart to finish us off here give us give us some final maybe your pitch for the US presidency and I, I'm, I'm not gonna open that kind of work so I'm not gonna go there <laughs> Um, no no thank you again and I, I think um, I'm, I'm proud that I'm I'm, I'm 
be able to join this conversation from overseas because I see a lot of similarity in the problem. So it's not just a, a thing um, which, which should be solved nationally, but especially some of the technology we talked about are global technologies. So, so we should find a global group of people who is willing to push this forward on behalf of the fire service. And, and from the things we are doing with, with knowledge graphs for the fire service and, and, and some of the ideas we're having, some of the developments we're doing, I think we're just only scratched the surface of what is possible with data, especially when AI and conversational AI comes in place, some of the things we are currently working on. Um, talking to your fire data, et cetera, that's gonna be completely amazing. But um, we have to make sure that the data we collect, and that comes back to, to, to training our people, that the data we collect about our operations, either fire or prevention is correct and up to standards to actually do all this great stuff with data. Um, and I think we should do this more often. So keep this conversation going. Totally agree. And this is something that uh, we hope to do on a, at least a once or twice a month, hopefully every week. And to everyone that's listening and to everyone either live or after the fact, thank you. As uh, Chief Muncie said, we can't do this alone. We need to be a team. And the, I, the goal of this is to connect the dots, bring people together, facilitate pilot programs. So we've got some of the brightest minds here on this chat. Uh, their LinkedIn will be available in the post chat. I know they all like to, to talk and explore new ideas. So continue to reach out. Don't be afraid to ask questions. There's no bad question. And we thank you all for all you're doing. And um, Bart, Andreas, Chief Muncie, thank you again so much for your time. And um, I hope you all have a great rest of your Thursday. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kevin. Take care, everyone. All right. Have a great thank day. you, Kevin. See you. Till next time.